Hey, Crime Salad listeners, what is up? Ashley here with Crime Salad Podcast, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. Our case this week is about the murder of Kevin Bacon. No, not the actor, but a young, vibrant man from Flint, Michigan. In 2019, Kevin was working as a hairdresser while finishing up a degree in applied psychology. On Christmas Eve of that year, he ventured out to meet a man he had been chatting with on the dating app called Grinder. When he didn't make it home to a special Christmas breakfast the next morning, his family and friends knew that something terrible had happened. But as the investigation unfolded, what they found was worse than what they ever could have imagined. Since meeting new people in the 21st century often involves dating apps or online platforms, getting together in person for the first time can be nerve-wracking. As Kevin's story proves, it's important to make sure you really know who you're meeting. It could be the difference between life and death. Kevin Bacon was born on November 28, 1994 in Lansing, Michigan. Soon after his parents, Carl and Pamela, moved with Kevin and his sister Jenny to Swartz Creek, Michigan, which is a small town of less than 6,000 people in the suburbs of Flint, he met his best friend, Michelle Myers, when they were in the fourth grade, and the two remained friends as they grew up, eventually becoming roommates. Michelle loved Kevin for his openness and transparency. According to her, he was always a vibrant, colorful being, both inside and out. Kevin was known as someone who was always willing to do what he wanted, when he wanted, and wouldn't let anything hold him back from achieving his dreams. And he had lots of dreams. After graduating from Swartz Creek High School, Kevin went to Sharp's Academy of Hairstyling and was officially certified as a hairstylist in 2016. To make ends meet, Kevin worked for a while at the local JCPenney's, but eventually left to start using his degree at Vintage Beauty, a salon in Flint. Though he loved hairstyling and dreamed of being a hairdresser on fashion runways, Kevin was also taking classes at the University of Michigan Flint to receive his degree in applied psychology and thinking about a career as a clinical therapist. In the winter of 2019, Kevin was 25 years old, six foot two, and rocked bright pink hair. He also had gotten many colorful tattoos across his body. Michelle shared that these tattoos were deeply personal for him and that he loved each and every one because they helped him to love himself in his own skin. For Michelle, she couldn't have asked for a better best friend. Kevin was compassionate, caring, loving, and attentive. But Kevin also struggled with mental health. He wanted to be happy and sought professional help when he needed to. Though he worked towards finding happiness himself, he was also willing to go above and beyond to help others. He put his loved ones first. On December 24th, Christmas Eve of 2019, Kevin said goodbye to his roommate, Michelle, and he left his apartment to meet up with someone new he had met on Grindr, the popular dating app for gay, bi, trans, and queer men. 
Michelle knew that Kevin was dating around and he had used the app before. So when he headed out a little bit before 530 that night, she didn't think twice. A little while later, Kevin checked in with Michelle, texting her to let her know that he would be out a little later than he had anticipated and that he wasn't sure what time he'd be back. He assured her that he was having a really good time with whoever he was with, and he joked that if his mom called while he was out to tell her that he was at home sleeping. Michelle wasn't worried for her friend at all, but only an hour later, 6.20 p.m., Kevin's phone had been turned off and he didn't text her again. The next morning on Christmas Day, Kevin had plans to meet his family for breakfast around nine in the morning, but he never showed up. And since his phone had been turned off, no one could get a hold of him. As far as Michelle could tell, he had never made it back to their apartment after his date. It wasn't like Kevin at all to just disappear like this. Knowing that something could have been seriously wrong, Kevin's father, Carl Bacon, alerted the Swartz Creek police that no one had been able to reach his son all day. Taking Carl's concerns seriously, the police began retracing Kevin's steps after leaving his apartment on the 25th. They were able to ping Kevin's phone to a nearby family dollar and found it in the backseat of his car in the shopping plaza parking lot. In addition to finding Kevin's car and phone, they also noticed his wallet and keys were found in a grocery bag in the back seat. His ID and all of his cash were still inside his wallet. Most curiously, the police found a bag of clothes in Kevin's car, which were identified as the ones he was last seen wearing when he left his home on Christmas Eve. This meant that wherever Kevin was, he was either entirely unclothed or he was wearing something that whoever he was with had given him. Unfortunately, the family dollar and surrounding shops didn't have any working surveillance equipment, meaning there was no video showing how Kevin's car got there, why he wasn't wearing clothes, and who he was with. On December 27th, though his car was found with his things and his clothes and no one had heard from him, the police still hadn't officially declared Kevin as a missing person. Knowing who Kevin was, though, as a person, the Bacon family and Kevin's friends grew more and more worried as over 48 hours has passed without hearing from him at all. His friends and family decided to organize a search party on the 28th to scour nearby areas and hang up missing person posters. Despite a large turnout and the attention of multiple media organizations, the search party did not turn up any information or evidence about where Kevin could be. After the search party had decided to call it a day on December 28th, the police made a breakthrough in their own investigation, and Kevin was discovered in a condition much worse than anyone could imagine. After looking at conversations on Kevin's cell phone and following his roommate's tip that he had left to meet someone off of Grinder, police began to dig into conversations that Kevin had been having with men on the app. They narrowed their search to one of the last people Kevin had messaged and made plans with, a 50-year-old named Mark Latunsky. Officers with the Michigan State Police were sent to Mark's house to conduct a welfare check for Kevin Bacon. Mark Latunsky's home was a small brick house in Marice, Michigan, 
About 20 miles or so from where Kevin's car had been found abandoned in a shopping mall parking lot. According to police, when Mark calmly answered the door, he was without a shirt, wearing only a brown leather kilt. Without hesitation, he allowed the officers to enter and search his home. Michigan State Police Trooper Robert Viviano made the shocking discovery. In a hidden room in the basement, they found Kevin Bacon dead naked and hanging upside down from the rafters. Viviano stated that he was able to quickly identify the victim as Kevin by his colorful hair and bright tattoos. The officers on the scene immediately went to arrest Mark for Kevin's murder, and Mark wasn't phased in the least. Speaking without any sense of nervousness or guilt, Mark openly admitted that he had killed Kevin by stabbing him in the back once, and then, when the first cut didn't kill him, he slit his throat. After Mark was sure Kevin was dead, he then tied rope around his ankles and hung Kevin's body upside down from the rafters in the ceiling in order to let the blood drain out. The mutilation to Kevin's body didn't stop there. After Kevin was fatally stabbed and strung up, Mark Latunsky admitted he had used the same knife to remove Kevin's testicles, which he fried and then ate. As if it wasn't gruesome enough, it was only the arrival of the police that stopped Mark from mutilating Kevin's body any further and even eating more of him. After their worst fears about Kevin were confirmed by police, Kevin's parents, Carl and Pamela, held a vigil in their small town to honor and remember Kevin on January 3rd of 2020. About 100 people gathered at Swartz Creek High School around a sign that read, Never Forgotten and Forever Missed, to share stories about Kevin and to remember the times that they had together. Like Kevin was during his life, the vigil and funeral were bright and colorful, despite it being such a difficult time. To help cover funeral expenses, the Bacon family made a GoFundMe page, which caught the attention of YouTuber and social media influencer Jeffrey Starr. Kevin was a huge fan and even had a few tattoos of Jeffrey's face. Knowing he was such a fan, Kevin's sister shared the GoFundMe page with the star on Twitter. As a result, the influencer donated $20,000, asked his followers to help out if they could, and offered his deepest condolences. As the Bacon family worked through their grief, the investigation and trial of Mark Latunsky began. While the scene at his house creates a devastating picture, Mark, when interviewed after being arrested, describes Kevin's murder with a different perspective. He told police that the evening began with a sexual fantasy that Kevin had asked for. According to Mark, after making plans through Grinder, Kevin and Mark met in the shopping mall parking lot where Kevin's car was discovered by police. Willingly, Kevin got naked, put on a blindfold, earmuffs, and ankle and wrist restraints. Mark then drove back to the house with Kevin in the back of the van covered with a blanket. Once home, the two had sex, which Mark said was entirely consensual. Afterwards, while talking, Kevin shared that he had been suicidal in the past. Mark responded if Kevin wanted to, he would help him die, and the two discussed how they would make Kevin's body disappear. Mark said that he then stabbed Kevin in the upper back near his neck. But Kevin didn't die immediately. Mark didn't want him to suffer, so he slit his throat. Mark stated that Kevin agreed to his death. 
a fact which seems unlikely and can't be proven now that he's gone. According to Mark, an important part of this agreement was that he would make sure that all of Kevin's body was repurposed and used. He would grind up the bones to plant tulips and use his intestines to grow chestnuts and peach pits. Kevin's body was even hung in a specific location, so that as the blood dripped out of his body, it went through an open trap door to fertilize plants outside of the house. After this arrest, the USPS intercepted a package for Mark, which contained a dehydrator, which he planned to use to make jerky out of Kevin's muscles. After Mark's confession, he was arrested and charged with open murder and mutilation of a body. Mark is being represented by a public defender named Doug Corwin Jr. Given Mark's calm demeanor while describing the murder and his cannibalistic acts, it's not surprising the lawyers initially submitted this as an insanity defense. After digging into Mark's medical and legal past, it was clear that he had a long history of mental illness. Mark Latunsky was born and raised in Marais, Michigan, a town of less than a thousand people. He earned his master's degree in chemistry from Iowa State University in 1995 after getting his bachelor's from Central Michigan University a few years earlier. After graduating with his master's, Mark sued the city of Ames, Iowa, claiming that the $1 a month charge for the storm sewers was unconstitutional. But this was the first of many outlandish convictions Mark held. Mark was married to a woman named Emily from 2001 to 2013 in the home where he would murder Kevin Bacon many years later. They had four children together. In 2010 and again in 2012, Mark was officially diagnosed with severe, recurrent, and chronic major depression with psychotic features, adjustment disorder and depression, and anxiety with paranoid schizophrenia, and borderline personality traits. When Mark took his medication, everything was okay, but more often than not, he didn't, and he became unbearable for Emily and her children. Ultimately, she filed for divorce. In the divorce papers, Emily shared that when Mark doesn't take his medicine, he'll watch torture and horror movies, talk to himself, stay out all night, threaten to get rid of his children's animals, and claim that their son wasn't his child, and fail to shower and shave. And that was only some of the more tame behavior. She cites times when Mark kidnapped his own children, violating their custody agreement. He would prevent her and her children from leaving the home, and even reported Emily and her brother were trying to murder him by poisoning a well on the property. Mark also had a few run-ins with law enforcement. After being found on his father's property once in 2013, he told police his name was actually William Gregory Dean and that he had killed Mark with the stroke of a pen. No one was entirely sure what he meant by this, but that was often the case when he wasn't taking his medicine. Mark's mental health issues and failure to take the necessary medication to cope with it led to him being committed to a hospital four times over the previous 10 years or so. And given his increasingly erratic behavior, by 2019, his now ex-wife was taking legal action to keep her children safe from their father. Mark had moved on from his relationship with Emily and had remarried a man named Jamie Arnold. But that relationship became strained due to Mark's habit of bringing home various men for sex. Nonetheless, Jamie and Mark remained friendly. 
Jamie invited Mark over for a Christmas party the day after Kevin Bacon had gone missing. At the party, Mark seemed completely himself, giving away no sign of what horrendous things he had just done the night before. All of this background on Mark Latunsky serves as a basis for his insanity defense, creating a history of instability, trauma, and dangerous behavior. On January 8, 2020, a judge approved the motion for Mark to undergo competency and forensic evaluations to determine if he was fit to stand trial. Corwin, Mark's public defender, stated that rather than being concerned about his upcoming murder trial, Mark was deeply fixated on a conspiracy theory involving multiple powerful countries and trust funds. His lawyer also said that Mark believes that he's actually a nobleman from the Thomas clan of Wales in the United Kingdom, and that his real name is Edgar Thomas Hill. This is a name that he gave during his first arraignment. But when asked by police to sign a form and being read his rights, Mark said that his name was Wills Likos Vilkis, a name that, according to police, he used on an escort site called Rentmen. During his initial court sessions, he told the judge presiding that Mark Latunsky is his nephew. All of these instances of deep delusions have been adding to his defense's claim of insanity. Though the psychiatric evaluations have delayed the trial from progressing quickly, investigators haven't stopped digging into Mark Latunsky's relationship with other men and considered the possibility that Kevin was not the only victim of Mark's violence. A man from New York who was in Michigan on business shared that he escaped the Latunsky home after he found himself chained up in the basement in October of 2019. The anonymous man said a guy, presumably Mark, had been hitting on him at a bus station when he arrived in town and that they had gone out for a drink. After that, he had no memory of what happened to him and thought that perhaps Mark had drugged him. While he was in the basement, he used a butcher knife that was lying nearby to cut the leather strap around his ankle that tethered him to a metal chain and called the police. The man said that he didn't want to file any criminal charges against Mark and had only called 911 because he wasn't sure where he was being from out of town. He was adamant about not opening up a larger investigation, likely to preserve his own anonymity. But this man wasn't the only one who encountered Mark Latunsky before Kevin Bacon did in December of 2019. Only a month before Kevin was killed, a 29-year-old man from Lansing also called 911 from near Mark's home. Also preferring to remain anonymous, he shared that he was wearing only a leather kilt and he escaped from the basement where he had been chained up. After running from the basement towards the neighbors, the man told police that he was being chased by Mark. When officers went to talk with Mark to figure out what happened, Mark said that he was only chasing after the man because he wanted his kilt back since it was worth $300. Like the other, this man refused to press any charges against Mark. Despite the suspiciousness of the situation, police had no choice but to let it go. Since there were no signs of violence, and they each said that their sexual activities with him were consensual, there was nothing more to investigate. We have to wonder though, if either of these men or the investigators had pressed charges or dug deeper into Mark Latunsky's behavior, would Kevin had been spared that Christmas Eve night? 
Since his arrest, Mark has been moved from Shiawassee County Jail to a Center for Forensic Psychiatry for evaluations. After many months of testing and observation, in October of 2020, the judge determined that Mark, now 51, was fit to stand trial for the murder and mutilation of Kevin Bacon. Mark's attorney, Doug Corwin, continues to stick with an insanity defense, but he also is using Mark's claim that Kevin had consented to be killed, attempting to drop the charges to just assisted suicide. But for the prosecution, the evidence doesn't support this. Messages between Mark and Kevin on Grindr show that they had discussed what would happen during their sexual encounter, including the bondage. But Kevin had looked for assurance that he would be safe the entire time. These messages don't seem to suggest that Kevin had any desire to be killed or harmed at all by Mark. Even though he has been declared fit by a judge, according to his lawyer, in the many months that Mark has been hospitalized, he has made great improvements to his behavior, but the delusions still remain. Corwin is requesting that another psychiatric evaluation take place. Due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, the Bacon family has been forced to wait and see if they will have any justice for their loss of their beloved son. It could take months for another psychiatric evaluation to be completed and even more time for the trial to actually get underway. If it is determined that Mark was mentally stable at the time he murdered Kevin Bacon, he faces one charge of open murder, which could lead to life in prison, and one charge of mutilation of a dead body, which could add another 10 years to his sentence at the maximum or a small fine at the minimum if he's found guilty. Much of how the trial will proceed depends on the findings of his last evaluation. If he's found mentally incompetent at the time of the murder, his defense could enter in a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, and he might not even face a trial with a jury. In the meantime, Mark Latunsky is being held without bail. Meanwhile, the Bacon family continues to wait for closure in this horrific trauma and loss. They are hopeful that Mark will receive a life sentence for taking Kevin's life. They've struggled to come to terms with the darker sides of Kevin's life that had come to light since his relationship with Mark was exposed. But as they cope with their grief, they focus and remember all of the wonderful, kind, positive, and incredible things about their son and friend. In December of 2020, Kevin's parents received a posthumous degree from the University of Michigan Flint for the degree in psychology that Kevin was working towards. His sister and friends continue to share pictures and memories of their time with him. They, just like us, hope that justice will be found for Kevin's death, though it may be many more months before we get more information. Here at Crime Salad, we will keep you posted as much as we can on any new developments. Be sure to check out our Crime Salad discussion group on Facebook and our Instagram for more information. But this concludes this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. All the bloodlust, all the pain.